You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Hey, we're continuing our series titled Health. Say it with me. One, two, three. Health. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about different aspects of health. Um, health has come to mean in this day and age, are you sick or are you not? And we've been taking the conversation a little bit deeper than that. Not just talking about whether you're sick or not, but talking about physical health, spiritual health, heart health, relationship health. And today we're going to be diving into a little bit more of the relationship side of health. How many of you know that God is concerned about your friendships and relationships? Last week, we spoke about emotional health and briefly discussed um, the health of friendships and how that benefits us emotionally. But today, we're just going to have a conversation about healthy friendships, how to have them. The reality is this. This is why we need to talk about uh, this, this topic of relationship health. We are a generation that has the ability to be more connected with one another than any other generation. We're a generation that I can see your face even if I don't want to. At any day or time, all I have to do is give you a call. We have the ability to be more connected with one another, more involved in one another's lives. Do you remember when Facebook wasn't political and people would post just what they're eating? You remember that? Oh, just walking my dog. Okay, that's great. We have the ability to be more connected now, but why is it that we are suffering from an epidemic of loneliness? Statistics continue to skyrocket from elementary age to elderly, that people are feeling more lonely now than any other time in modern history. How can that be when we have the ability to be more connected, more involved in one another's lives, and yet we are suffering statistically the amount of depression and anxiety and feelings of disconnected? How can that be? And the problem of loneliness isn't just in our country. As a matter of fact, the epidemic of loneliness is so bad in the UK that they created a government position titled the Minister of Loneliness. This is somebody's position. Their focus is to try and create events for people to connect due to all of the rise in suicide, anxiety, and depression, even though we have the ability to be connected now more than any other generation. So what happened? Well, we have more technological capability to see each other, and yet we suffer from loneliness. We could go through the list of reasons as to how this came to be. The fact that technology has produced surface-level relationships, but no intimate relationships. We could go over the fact that we live in a culture that says, if you don't think the way that I do, if you don't look the way that I do, if you aren't like me, then we are not compatible with one another. The ability to agree, to disagree, and walk away in unity and loving each other is gone. We could go through another fact to all this reality, and that's this. We have normalized dysfunctional relationships. Drama, backstabbing, being fake to gain affection. These are the traits that make up what we call entertainment. And what you see, it goes back to that old saying, monkey see, 
And so we have dysfunction in our relationships and we've normalized them thinking that this is okay. But when dysfunction actually happens in a real relationship and it's not just a part of our entertainment, we are not equipped with the skills necessary to build bridges. We only know how to set them on fire. And culture glorifies this. You get them back. You tell them how it is. I said my piece and I walked out. Just to get us on track this morning, let's identify some of the traits of unhealthy relationships just so that we're clear. Unhealthy friendships are full of, first off, unresolved offenses. Unresolved offenses. The scripture says, love keeps no record of wrong, but here we find in modern day history people saying, nope, I got a record. And it's an arsenal that we use against one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is pushing us to resolve our conflicts. Don't go to bed angry, frustrated over a relationship. You need to do the due diligence and go and make amends. Otherwise, one night becomes two nights. Two nights becomes three nights. And 19 years have passed by and you still aren't talking to that person. Unhealthy relationships stockpile offenses, anger, and never seek to make things right. Which leads us to the next trait of unhealthy relationships. Unhealthy relationships are full of unforgiveness. If you're taking notes today, as always, Godspeed, friend, Godspeed. Unhealthy friendships are full of unforgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know that I have met adults that have moved from one relationship to another, and they will openly tell you about unforgiveness that they have had in their hearts for 20 to 30 years. They recall the disagreement, the separation, the unforgiveness. Pastor, you don't understand how much they hurt me. And the reality is this, is unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting to hurt the other person. Unforgiveness only hurts one person, and that person is you. Scripture says, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, be kind to one another. How many of you know that it's hard to be unforgiving when you're kind? When your focus is on kindness, it's hard to be unkind. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Modern day reality shows and sitcoms would teach us that if the person doesn't agree with you, that they deserve to be treated like a criminal. Forget forgiving, remain angry. Church, it's vital that we recognize these simple things, these simple truths, so that we don't look like the culture that surrounds us. Scripture says, remain kind, soft hearted, move forward, forgiving them. Here it is, even if they don't deserve it. Forgive them for you. And in doing this, we move forward in life and relationships and health and maturity by forgiving the other person. Unhealthy friendships are full of uncontrolled language. Uncontrolled language. Proverbs 21, verse 23. And parents, I recommend you keep this to teach your kids someday. It's great to pull out of the back pocket, I'm just telling you. 
Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his, himself out of trouble. Can I get a witness this morning? Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Here's the reality. Language covers everything from gossip, belittling others, inappropriate language, and humor. It covers everything. Unhealthy friendships are full of uncontrolled conversations. They're full of uncontrolled, perverse uh, speech and, and humor, especially on the male side of friendships. That's been normalized. And I want to challenge you today to just think about this fact that Peter tried to prove that he wasn't a follower of Jesus by using foul language. To prove to everyone around him, he said something that culture found offensive to prove that he was not a follower of Jesus. Language is important. Unhealthy friendships are full of unrealistic expectations. Some friends have a vision that friendship must never leave the honeymoon stage. You know what I'm talking about. It's that stage where you don't realize that the other person is a human and has problems. Can we all agree on something that humans have problems? What are you? We all have problems. Unhealthy relationships don't acknowledge that reality that we all have sin, we are all capable of sin, we all come from sin, and therefore we need redemption. 1 John chapter 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Recognize your flaws. Because as you recognize your flaws, you'll be able to embrace others' flaws. Unhealthy friendships are full of unwise lifestyles. Maybe it's not even sin that the other person is submerged in, but the choices that they make just aren't wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but out of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not a God of confusion, therefore we shouldn't live as confused people. Can I hear a good amen this morning? Some live, they constantly live in a manner of uncertainty. Have you ever met somebody like that? Don't point to your neighbor. Have you ever met somebody like that? They don't plan, forget planning the next year. They don't plan for tomorrow. It's just unwise. And when you and I surround ourselves with people who are not concerned for tomorrow, do you know what we end up looking like? People who are not concerned for tomorrow. This is simply unwise. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And this morning, we're discussing Christian relationships primarily, but there's also this balance that we first have to have because there's hardly a week that goes by where I talk about a discussion of having Christian relationships, and somebody comes up and asks a very fair question, and that is, how do I deal with my unsaved friends? How do I deal with the unchristian relationships? So we have to address the topic this morning. Christian friendships with those who don't know Jesus. Let's talk about that just briefly for a moment. 
let's real quick process this together. On one side of the church spectrum, you have those taking a stance that say you should have nothing to do with those who don't know Jesus. Don't spend time with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't welcome them because after all, Scripture says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So on one side of the spectrum, you have Christians saying, separate yourself, have nothing to do with the world, do not have friendships with those who don't know Jesus. On the other side of the spectrum, you have those Christians that say we have to reach them, they spend all of their time and attention with those who don't know Christ, and they often quote Luke chapter 15 verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So what are we to do? I've heard people say, Pastor, I sit down with sinners because I'm just trying to be like Jesus. How do we process this? Where do we find balance? We find balance in the middle. First, we must understand our role when we are with unbelievers versus when we are with believers. You have a role. You have a responsibility. You have an objective, if you will, when you are with unbelievers. My role in a friendship with a sinner is to be a witness and an influence. Can I hear a good amen? Not the other way around. When we are with unbelievers, we are to be a witness and not the influenced. Jesus did indeed sit at the table of sinners, but he sat at a table of sinners to be a witness and pour into, not receive from and get poured into. He did not sit down at the table of sinners and receive anything from them. He gave to them. When we are with unbelievers, church, hear me ever so clearly. We have to have our guard up. You can love someone and welcome someone and still have a guard up that doesn't allow worldly wisdom to come into your life. Which, by the way, worldly wisdom is just foolishness. You can love somebody and welcome them in your home and still have a guard up that tells your children we don't behave like this. It means that there are lines that we do not cross. It means that you have your guard up. It means that there's balance. Is this making sense this morning? Don't get quiet on me. I'll start handing out espresso. We have to understand our role. I've, I've seen too many adult Christians mature in Christ get led away from Christ because of their relationships. They didn't understand that loving somebody like Jesus meant you kept a holy, righteous guard up and taught them about Jesus. And we have this confusion in our culture that in order for me to welcome somebody, I must approve of everything that they do and say. And can I tell you that that couldn't be further from the truth? Half of y'all are married to somebody that you don't approve of everything that they do and say. And yet you're here. Don't email me. There's a drastic difference between Jesus' relationship with sinners, hear me out, and Jesus' relationship with disciples. There's a completely different manner in which he holds himself. When he's with sinners, it's kind of like back to the basics. I'm going to love you. And then when he's with disciples, it's like, okay, you're ready for the meat. You're ready for the stuff that's going to chew on. And he confuses them half the time. Until they have that aha moment. 
Make sure that you understand your role when you are with Christians and when you are with believers and hold to those roles. So what does healthy relationship, what does healthy friendship look like? We have all kinds of examples from modern day TV shows and movies about the most beautiful dynamic duos. What do you know about that Timon and Pumbaa? <laughs> what do you know about Sherlock and Watson? Dynamic duos such as Corey and Sean from Boy Meets World. Chandler and Joey from Friends. Dwight Schrute and Jim Halpert from The Office. Very odd friendship there. We're not going to have enough time to digest that one. Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Or one of my all-time favorites, Maverick and Goose from Top Gun. It's still too soon. Too soon. We have all of these dynamic duos, these friendships, but can I tell you that these are all shallow compared to the most famous friendship that we see in the Old Testament between Jonathan and David. Beautiful friendship. They need to make a movie about it. And if they incorporate fighter jets, that's up to them. We don't have enough time to go through 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 31, but can I challenge you to put that on your devotional schedule this week, to study 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 31 and learn about this beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan. What makes this friendship so unique is David has received a lot of favor. He's received God's anointing. He's going to be king, and Saul, the current king, hates him for it. He hears these women saying, you know, uh, Saul has slayed some, David has slayed more than some. And this sets Saul off. This just angers him and irritates him till you can just see that David's being is just irritating to Saul. And so David continues to do what? He continues to honor the Lord, and he develops a friendship, a deep, intimate friendship with Jonathan. They have each other's backs. They hold one another accountable. They enter into a covenant together, which we're going to discuss. But what makes this friendship so unique is Jonathan is Saul's son. And when you look at how kingship worked during this time, it was understandable that Jonathan would be the one to inherit the throne. And yet it's David. And yet Jonathan honors David and serves David and submits to David. And we learn this about Jonathan's character is that he is more concerned with the things that honor God than the things that honor man. Even if that man is his own father. Healthy Christian friendships, first and foremost, honor God above all else. A good Christian friendship will honor God in, in the way that it conducts itself in every area above everything else. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan making a covenant with David means that Jonathan recognized David as the next king. Talk about humility. It means that this covenant that they entered into was a covenant of friendship, hear me out, under God's law. Well, pastor, how big of a deal is that? Let me tell you. 
Friendships that honor God above all else means that Jonathan and David weren't going to influence one another in a way that would lead them into stumbling. They were going to hold one each other, each other accountable. Let me say this. Hear me out this morning, church. What we call entertainment for our friendships today, Scripture defines as sin. I want to say that again. In America, what we call entertainment for our friendships is defined as sin in Scripture. When you have somebody in your life who holds you accountable to God's standard, even in your relationships, it means that you are not going to lead one another into stumbling or entering into sinful behavior. They were going to build one another up. They were going to push one another towards God. And what I love about this is that during this time, it was normal for the son of the king to be next in throne. And yet, Jonathan, I cannot say this enough, honors David, which just proves that his allegiance above man is to God. And can I tell you, friends, this morning, it would be foolish of us to think that there aren't those in this room who you are at a point of conflict where your very own family is pulling you one way and God is leading you another. Honor God. Honor God. I've heard often too many stories of grandparents or relatives who don't serve the Lord, and there's conflict there, mocking parents for their priorities. Honor God. His way is always better than our own. Healthy friendships are also this. They are vulnerable. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, where it says Jonathan had made a covenant with David. To enter into a covenant is a very vulnerable thing. We see that at weddings. When there is a covenant that is being performed up front, and it's the two binding themselves, they're honest, they, uh, the assumptions that they know each other's flaws, some that took longer than others, but the assumption is that in that moment, they, they know one another. Entering into a covenant, this is a state of being vulnerable. Covenant opened the door for David and Jonathan to be bluntly honest with one another. Vulnerable means that you are who you say you are. Flaws and all. The good, the bad, and the... That you both in this friendship are aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're vulnerable with one another. Healthy Christian friendships are loyal. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and didn't eat the meat. In the second day of the month, he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Again, we see that Jonathan's loyalty is to David above his father. He's angry with the way that his father has conducted himself because he has recognized that it is ungodly. I want to come back to this point. Sometimes when we are put at a disposition in between family and God, always choose God. Amen. Don't be blinded by blood that you dismiss the behavior. Sometimes we justify our family members' actions, assuming that they're unsaved, by the way. We justify it because we say they're blood to me. And while that's to a degree honorable, the most honorable relationship is that you always uphold God's standard. Healthy Christian friendships are loyal. 
Loyalty comes from words, but it doesn't stop there. Loyalty comes from words and moves into actions, which builds a track record that builds confidence. There isn't a time in Scripture where we see Jonathan betray David. What he said he was going to do, he said, I am going to protect you, I'm going to look out for you, and he did. How many of you are sick of political promises? Am I the only one this morning? It drives me insane when you stand there and say, you can't, you can't promote everybody's happiness. You can't promise that everybody's going to live in a mansion in the United States. And you hear these unrealistic promises of loyalty that they never follow through with. Our standard in our friendships and relationships is supposed to be bigger than that more admirable than a political campaign. That what we say we're going to do, we in fact do. And as we continue to show our faithfulness to one another, it builds a track record that people can have confidence in. Friends, that's a recipe for revival. When people start looking at church friendships and relationships as the most genuine, as the most trustworthy, they're vulnerable with one another, they honor God, they don't waver in their standards. Come on, somebody. That's powerful. Out of loyalty, Jonathan protected even the reputation of David. When Saul would come against his reputation, Jonathan would rise up in anger. Say, that's the man that God has chosen. He confronted those that tried to come against David. And he knew that David was in the right because David's lifestyle matched up with somebody who was called. Healthy Christian friendships are dependable. Jonathan had devised a plan to send a message to David and warn him to flee from his father. And after the message was communicated to David, Scripture says this in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendships with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is the witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. We don't have time to get in it to, into it today, but years later, we would see this come to pass with somebody named Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son that should have never been allowed to sit at the table of the king, and yet David welcomed him in. David held true to his promise for years. David was dependable, which is why this covenant with one another worked. Jonathan also did what he said he was going to do. Author and pastor James Russell says this about being dependable. Too many people are not faithful in the little things. They are not to be absolutely dependent upon. They do not always keep their promise. They break their engagements. They fail to pay their debts promptly. They come behind time on appointments. They are neglectful and careless in the little things. And in general, they are good people, but their life is a honeycomb with small failures. 
one who can be positively dependent upon, who is faithful in the least of things, as well as the greatest, whose life and character are true through and through, who gives out a light in this world which honors Christ, will bless others. Worship team, if you'd come. Healthy Christian friendships, lastly, are responsible. Healthy Christian friendships are responsible. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, as a whole, we see Jonathan's character as one that is responsible. He's wise, he does what he says, he's trustworthy. They're vulnerable with one another. They share with one another their concerns and struggles. They build one another up. This is a relationship. This is how we define a responsible relationship. I would also define Christian responsibility in today's time like this. Biblical responsibility means that first, you honor your spouse. I'm going to tie this together in just one moment because I know that that might sound a little bit odd. Faithful to your spouse doesn't just mean honoring the marriage bed. It means that you honor the way that you speak about them. And this is a problem for men and women in our world that we have normalized getting together and bashing our spouses. We've normalized getting together and belittling our husbands and our wives. It's normal. Sitcoms and every piece of entertainment that we look at and modern culture says that it's just normal. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just venting. I'm just, and we justify it. A responsible friendship, a responsible relationship honors your spouse in speech and conduct. We need to uplift our spouses because we're in a covenant with them. Biblical responsibility means that we honor our spouse. Friend, there is a vast difference between seeking wisdom in regards to a situation between you and your spouse and just letting anything that comes to your mind fly out. Let your standard be higher because God's standard is higher. Biblical responsibility means that we have a strong work ethic. Healthy friendships don't encourage you to be lazy at work. Healthy friendships don't encourage you to take the cheap route. Healthy Christian relationships don't encourage you to work in such a manner of just getting by. And again, this is an area that we could focus on. We see it in so many friendships and relationships as depicted in Hollywood. Friendships encouraging one another to cut the work clock, to get the easy way out. Just take the lesser, you know, just take the lesser route, whatever route makes you feel better. Biblical Christian relationships say, listen, you need to stay and hold fast to this. You need to have a good, honorable work ethic. It's going to cost you blood, sweat, and tears, but it's God's way. Therefore, it's worth it. Biblical responsibility in friendships and relationships looks like this, that we live a godly life. That's just a general covering. That your friend will encourage you to keep developing your relationship with Jesus. That they will encourage you, men, go to the men's ministry. 
Women, same thing, that they will encourage you to go to the women's ministry, that they will encourage you to go to those prayer nights, go to those church activities, go to those devotionals, that they will encourage you whenever you are in a time of need, that they will ask the question, hear me this morning, church, when was the last time you did your devotions? Do you have friends like that? that ask you, when was the last time that you've gotten in the Word of God? Because the reality is, is that you read the Word of God, it reads you. Do you have those friendships who say, listen, I know you're struggling, but you've got to get into the Word of God if you haven't already done so. Biblically responsible friendships encourage us to live a godly life. And lastly, biblical responsibility and friendships encourage us to seek to live in purity. Just as a whole, sometimes we get this confused where we look at godly life and our standard becomes, well, it's not sin. Can I tell you that just because it's not qualified as sin doesn't mean that we should do it. The standard is higher and that's where we get into purity what we speak, what we do, what we call entertainment, what we indulge ourselves in, the kind of conversations that we have, the hospitality that we share with others, all of that needs to fall under the covering of pure. Because pure adds to your life. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat around the bonfire with friends on a Saturday night And after we're done fellowshipping, I look at my wife and I say, you know the greatest part about this? And she said, what? I said, I don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow in a bed feeling sick with a night of regrets. That we hold one another accountable. Purity has benefits. Culture's gonna tell you that purity isn't as fun, but can I tell you, it's pretty fun waking up the next day with my kids and not having to worry about throwing up all morning. I'm just being honest. It's pretty nice to call my wife and whenever I'm out with friends and, and call her and ask how she's doing and I'm not calling from a prison cell. Fun. Purity adds to your life. Purity keeps you from harm. Don't downplay purity. Purity is going to keep you. It's going to keep you close to the Father. It's going to keep your family whole. Again, I'm so tired of of this culture that has normalized dysfunction as if it's normalized to hire a babysitter and go out for the night with your friends. And we all know what that means. God has a better way for you and your family. Biblical responsibility means that we seek to live in purity because we recognize that pure is beneficial. Healthy friends seek to keep you accountable, to do any, to keep to keep you accountable and prevent you from doing anything that would damage not just who you are but your very reputation. Reputation takes a lifetime to build, but it can be lost in a moment. So I close with this: If you would stand with me this morning, are you vulnerable? Do you have somebody in your life that you can get together with, share things with, hold one another accountable? Or do you tend to hide behind the idea that you have it all together? Because that's a short-lived fantasy, amen, church? Do you know what your standard is to loyalty? 
I hope it would be to godliness and wholeness. Are you dependable? Do you do the things that you say you're going to do? Are you responsible? Do you lead others in a manner that is praiseworthy and honorable? Or are you an influence on others that if we had to measure it by biblical standards, it doesn't align? I want to ask you this, what kind of friend are you? Because in a world that is full of deception, I am so tired of it. In a world that is full of deception and lying and backstabbing and speaking ill about one another, and you never know if what you get is really who they are, in a world that is seeking genuine, honorable, reliable, loyal, we need to be that more now than any other time in history. So I asked the question, what kind of friend are you? We've talked about this morning the kinds of friends that we want in our life. But the reality is if we don't reciprocate that, if we don't offer that for others, that whole opposite to track thing is nonsense. But if you start being the person who's loyal, honorable, dependable, more concerned about God's way than you are your way, then you attract people like-minded. So I ask the question, what kind of friend are you? And I close with this. What needs to change in your life so that you can become the kind of friend that God is calling you to be? Take inventory for one moment. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, there's nothing that you've talked about. I'm good. Then there's something called pride. We're going to have to work that out first. But in all seriousness, what things in your life need to be changed so that you can be the kind of friend that God is calling you to be today? Would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to take a second church. Would you just begin to ask God, Lord, what needs to change in me? What comes to mind? Is it responsible, seeking purity, being a godly influence, being loyal, speaking life into your spouse when they're not around? What area in your friendship life needs to be worked on? And as that comes to mind, just begin to ask God, Lord, would you help me with this? All of us have something or maybe multiple things that we need to work on today. Why? Because we're human. Would you just begin to ask him this morning, church, Lord, what is it in my life that needs change so that I can be the kind of friend that you want me to be? And here's what I'm going to ask without anybody looking around. As you begin to think of that thing that needs change, would you just do me a favor? I want you to picture putting that in your hand and can we just lift that up high and as just a symbol of saying, here you go, God, take it. It's in my hand. Now I give it to you. Mold me, shape, shape me, break it, whatever it is that, that you desire to do. God, I give you this thing in my life so that I can be a better image of Christ to my relationships and my friendships. As you begin to picture that thing, hands going up all around, would you just begin to extend that hand on high and say, here you go, God, you can have it. You can have that piece of me because I recognize that you want to change it. Lord, I pray over every 
outstretched hand, every outstretched arm this morning, Lord, that even right here and right now, you'd there would be individuals who feel that burden being lifted off of them where they recognize this is no longer a part of me. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be dependable. I'm going to lead my relationships, my friendships, and godliness. I'm going to be a biblical influence on others. I'm going to show the world around me what a good, healthy Christian friendship looks like. Lord, I just pray that there would be individuals who begin to sense that, that, that anointing upon their life to be the kind of biblical friends that you want us to be in a very unbiblical world. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would equip us in the week, to, uh, the week ahead. Equip us for the work that you have ahead of us. Give us the wisdom, the patience, the words to speak. And I pray that there would be testimonies that come out of today as a result of your word going forth and molding and shaping us. And God, I pray in the times when it might even hurt to change those parts about us, that you would provide healing in that moment so that we can be sewn back together and made better than what we were before. Lord, take our lives, mold us and shape us. Now, would you lead us and guide us today? We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, Amen. amen. God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. Would you give him one more shout of praise for what he's doing in this place today? This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.